You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Eric Huberman, founder and CEO of Hawk Media, your outsourced CMO and marketing team in Santa Monica, California. Eric, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Give us a quick overview. What's Hawk Media's claim to fame? Basically, our mission statement is accessibility to great marketing for everyone. So uh, it came out of frustration that it's really hard to identify either hiring in-house for marketing or identify really good agencies. And so all these entrepreneurs are out there trying to figure out how to make their dreams come true and how to build their businesses. And this shouldn't be as hard as it is. So got sick of it about seven years ago, hired a small team of experts, a Facebook marketer, email marketer, web designer, et cetera went back to these different brands and just said, hey, everything's a la carte, month to month, cheaper than hiring in the house. The idea is we can spin up exactly what you need when you need it. We have the best at what they do in different categories, and we're able to be super nimble and flexible along with a company's needs. So we're about 200 full-time people, manage marketing for about 600 brands. And yeah, I've been around about seven years. That's awesome. And I can't tell you how many times I have thought to myself on any kind of business service, this just shouldn't be as hard as it is. Yeah, this exactly. should not be as complicated. It should not take as much time. It should not be as resource intensive. So anybody who's going to solve one of those problems for me, <laughs> right there, top of the list. That's awesome. So thanks for joining us today. As CEO of Hawk Media, what are your main job responsibilities and who do you need to influence? I'd say my main job responsibility is to never have a main job responsibility. <laughs> but the moment something's consistent, it's replacing myself. So, but in a real answer, it's pushing our existing team and our executives. And as you said, who do I need to influence? Everyone. You know, everybody does look to the CEO, you know, some more directly than others, but I definitely have to push even our executive team outside their comfort zone a little bit. It's a pretty regular conversation. Like, we'll get that done in a month. We'll get it done in a week. That kind of a back and forth, like mm -hmm. really pushing. And then expansion. Where are we going next? What are we you know, looking down the field a little bit, trying to figure out what's next for the company? Where are we going? And allowing myself to do that. I think that's what I mean by like making sure I don't have a main job is sure. if I have day-to-day -day tasks, then I can't focus on the growth and strategic side of the business as much. And so that's really what I'm focused on constantly as I identify new things, getting them spun up, bringing someone in to help run it, and then looking for the next piece. And in doing all that, what's the biggest communication challenge that you or Hawk Media are facing today? I'd say keeping everyone apprised of where I'm going. Mm. About a month ago, it got coined as initiatives, Eric, <laughs> super clever. But yeah, me running around looking for all these new things, I end up with a list of things that I'm working on that the team goes like, all of a sudden, we've made mistakes of like, we buy another agency. And the first time my executive team hears about it is in the press release that the public sees. Oh, So internal communications is something we're actively looking at doing better. And why do you think that's hard? Because I think that's something that many organizations struggle with, especially as they're growing quickly. Why is that so difficult? Because when you're working on tasks, you're looking at who do I need to inform to get this task done? And you don't like, you're not anticipating the future all the time. You're sometimes working with what's in right in front of you. And like, I don't need the rest of my team to get this done. I'm getting it done myself. So why do I need to let them know? 
And then when it's done, I let them know. And it's like, well, we could have prepped for this. Like it would have been nice to know ahead of time. And it's so it's just being conscious of it because it's not going to naturally come up in the process unless you're thinking about all the other implications, which I will say most optimists and a lot of times most entrepreneurs are optimists won't be thinking of what could go wrong. So I need to let people know they'll be thinking about like, this is all going to be great. So they're not anticipating any of those things, I think is a big part of it. At least that's how it affects me. I find that it has a lot to do also with just how many balls you have in the air. Just if there's no time to step back for 30 seconds and even ask yourself, okay, what do I need to anticipate with regard to this? Who will I need to communicate with? The answers aren't necessarily hard. You just have to actually give yourself 30 seconds worth of brain space to think about it and come up with the answer. Yep, that's right. So then in doing all this now, you've gone from your, your expertise to now running the show, what communication skills, so that's making a decision about who to talk to, but what specific skills did you personally have to develop in order to successfully build and lead this company? Yeah, I would say, I think the biggest surprise in communication has been that like, you really need to focus on the positive more than the negative, mm. more senior, the bigger the company gets, like we, we've talked about it early on, like you want to praise publicly, scold privately, like, or criticize privately, I think was the word we used. But it was the, I started to realize that when we talk about the company's problems, or obviously individual problems shouldn't be laid out in front of the company. But when we're talking about the struggles or the room for improvement and all the things that as a leader, I naturally go to like, yeah, everything's great, except this. So I'm going to focus on this. Like that's, sure. that's what got us here. But when you're communicating to the team, you have to do a much better job focusing on what's positive. And like that positivity is infectious. And so it's a negativity. So depending on what culture you want to build, but I think most people want a positive culture, focusing on the positive, focusing on the wins, even though it's counterintuitive to a founder that's always looking for the holes in the ship and trying to find the next thing they need to fix. That balance has been something that I've had to identify where like you can totally individually, you can have those, you know, more problem focused conversations and solutions and trying to figure out how to make the company better. But when you're speaking to the whole team, you're speaking more to a group, it has to be more positive. That's interesting, because you would think that all everybody should be on board, they understand they know what was good. And yet, it sounds like people really do need more reminders about the positive, more clarity that at least that you're aware of what they've done well. And reacting to the negative publicly is, it took me a while to learn this lesson, but it's the dumbest thing you can do. Like you have one person in a large organization complaining about something and you answer their complaint publicly, the 99% of your organization never cared about. And now they're made aware of this problem and they're like, and hopefully your answer is good. But if it's not, good luck. You learn that it's, again, more about privately have those conversations publicly talk about them. Is there a particular example of that or that you can think about where like yeah. you responded to that one person's complaint and then you went, oh, that was a bad idea. I just should have taken that offline. Uh, yeah. In full transparency, I mentioned that we had hired a woman, a black woman that was doing a lot of diversity and inclusion stuff at our company. And I'm like, yeah, she has an incredible amount of experience. And so we hired her because we really care about these initiatives. Someone took that as I hired her because she was black and said that in Slack and was like, so you just hired her because she's black. I'm like, so I got on our all company Zoom and was like, no, I can't believe you even said that. Like, no, that is not what I said. And I can't believe you would mince my words that way. And then it turned into a whole conversation about what did I mean by it? I, and I could have just gone to that person directly and been like, stop. And instead I said it publicly. So then it turned to a thing that we got over. But it's those kind of like reactionary things that it's like, just you don't go there. So I'm curious, if you had gone to that person offline, what would you have said to them? Benefit of the doubt. You know me better than that. And like, you misheard me. And like, next time, like, think about what you just said. Like, you said publicly, you just accused me of pretty much a racial remark, which had nothing to do with what I was saying. You took it there. I did not. And so be careful and like, be aware of what you're saying. 
that's it. And like, they would have probably got, and I'm pretty calm guy. So it would have been like this. And instead it brought the whole company in on the conversation, which some thought they were crazy. Other people were like, well, I took it that way too. And it turned out like, why are we even having this debate? The point is I didn't do that. So I stopped. Yeah. I appreciate you sort of reframing how, had you been able to have that conversation with this person offline, that this is the approach I would have taken because internally we may want to go to them and say, you know, WTF or, you know, what are you doing in this place? Or you respond a certain way, but we recognize that you can't necessarily respond from that emotional, visceral place. Anytime you feel your blood boiling, just take a breath and stop. Don't react. Don't send that email. And then also I have learned that's not even the best way to respond. It's ask questions hey, what about what I said came off as me making that decision? And why do you feel that that's something that I would, mm. you know, with how you know me would be something I would do? Like seek to understand is something I've been coached on a lot that that's super important. Yeah, the value of asking questions rather than providing information, especially for conflict resolution is something that I think is really hard. People know it intellectually, but man, when the, when the emotion kicks in and the defensiveness strikes, it can be really hard to remember and execute. Exactly. Terrific. Then what's the next big goal for you and for Hawk Media? And what communication skills will you need to continue to hone to succeed? International expansion. So good topic for communication. World domination. Yeah, no, we, we really are. We're looking at expanding into Canada and overseas. And there's a lot of other initiatives, don't get me wrong, but that's probably the biggest structural shift that will be happening. And, you know, we went remote the past year. That was a big communication change. But yeah, the nice thing is remote lends itself to international much easier because dealing with different time zones, dealing with, you know, now we have to deal with different cultures, potentially different languages. We're already doing work in a lot of non-English speaking countries. And so communication, I mean, there's just nuances to communication and you end up getting a native speaker for that country that maybe doesn't have the same cultural side on the American side. Like it's a balance that you have to be aware. And, you know, frankly, there's a lot of great books about the communication differences between cultures that if you're going to expand internationally, you should read. The example I give is in Asian countries, and this is a generalization, but in Asian countries, the onus of communication is on the receiver, whereas in Western countries, it's usually on the deliverer. Meaning if I tell you something, I have to be clear as the person talking. And in Asian countries, a lot of times, the person on the receiving end has to read between the lines. And the example, they talk about this in one of Malcolm Gladwell's books, there's a way outsized number of plane crashes in Asia, because when you're flying, and I'm actually getting my pilot's license, when you're flying, you have to communicate what's going on. You have to be like, hey, I need to land, etc. There's an example where I forgot where it was, but a plane was flying, and he kept telling the person that he was well on gas. And the guy on the receiving end is like, great, come in and land. He's like, yeah, but we're well on gas. And he's like, okay, well, we have two people ahead of you, and then we'll let you in. Okay, but I'm well on gas. Great. Well, you'll land in three people. When he said he was on gas, what he meant was he's out of gas, he needs to be first, but he was waiting for the tower to understand that, where the tower is waiting for him to be direct, and he ended up crashing into the side of the hill because he didn't have enough fuel to land. And so that difference in communication when you're talking about business, it's like, I have noticed with our Asian clients sometimes, you have to understand the nuance into why they said something. So you have to like actually be anticipating, like, you just said that, you mean something by it, what do you mean by it, got it. So you have to think a little differently. And it's just a different form of communication. One's not right or wrong, but you have to, when you're used to people being direct and telling you what you need to know, and now you have to read what they're saying, it's just getting used to that. Is That's where a lot of big communication gaps can happen in that sense. 
intercultural communication is so multifaceted and, and yeah. fraught with pitfalls all over the place, but it is fascinating. Yeah. And to the extent that, I mean, I lived in Japan for three years and the subtlety and the nuances of what is not said often is more important than what is actually said. Although ironically, that's also a big difference between the US and Britain in, again, generalizing, yep. but uh, we tend to be a lot more blunt and direct and ham-fisted on a, a lot of it. And uh, they're a bit more subtle and, and nuanced in what the where the implications are. I forget who it was who said that the United States and England are two countries separated by a common language. Yeah, so it's really fun note on that. So my wife and I were spending some time in Russia with a friend, a Russian friend, and we're in the car with him. My wife had to call someone and she was like, put on hold. And she's like, okay. And they're like, hey, we're gonna put you on hold real quick. She's like, okay, thank you. And then they come back. They're like, hey, we're still looking at this. We got to put you on hold again. She's like, okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. And like, sounds good. And then they're like, all right, we're gonna help you out with this. We'll give you a call back in a little bit. She's like, sounds great. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Like, and the guy in the, our Russian friend goes, Are you thankful she put you on hold and didn't get you an answer? You're just saying thank you, thank you, thank you. Like, that's so insincere. And she's like, No, I'm just being polite. He's like, It's not polite. It's insincere. Are you actually thankful for being put on hold? And I was like, Interesting. Cause, and I grew, I'm half Russian. So I grew up with like Russians are blunt and from our perspective, rude because they're straightforward. They don't really say thank you much. They're a little cold. And the truth is, that's not the case. It's just cultural differences where, for us saying thank you is a sign of like, I respect what you're doing and I'm thankful that you're taking the time. To them, they're like, you're not thankful for what they're doing. You're not actually thankful to be put on hold. So you're being insincere. So we're insincere and they're kind of dicks. The assumption on both sides when it comes to Russian and American. And I've seen that since I was a little kid and it took back, like we were in the car together, took back conversation to be like, I get it now. And it's fair on both sides. No one's wrong. It's just a difference in how you're brought up and like the way you perceive things. So you said you're half Russian. Is your mom, your dad? Both half. Oh, interesting. Okay. So were you raised bilingually or strictly English? They're, my mom's like fourth generation. My dad's first, I guess. So his parents were from Russia and Poland. I've had a lot of clients over the years who are Russian and, or at least especially tech companies where there may be a lot of Russians and a lot of Indians and a lot of Chinese and all the different groups working together. And it's so interesting. So I feel like no matter what the context is, the United States always seems to be in the middle. Yeah. So there's always going to be people who we work with who are far more blunt and there are others who are far more yep. indirect and there are those who are more explicit and, and have less filter and there are those who will be filtered forever. So you can always complain that we're 2X or 2Y, but inevitably you can find somebody else who's further along that continuum than we are. We seem to be a, yep. the melting pot in that world as well. Well, all right. Tell me then, Eric, this brings us to our listener 24-hour influence challenge. And this is your opportunity to talk directly to our audience and challenge everyone to take one step that they can complete in 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? Yeah, I would say, actually, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, but I'm going to flip the switch a little bit. So with the idea of influence in mind, the secret sauce for our success that got us here that continues to push us a lot is staying top of mind with the people that I meet. And the biggest hack that I've done for that is setting up a personal CRM, a customer resource management, that every time I email someone, it automatically goes in there. And then I set dates to follow up with them, usually every quarter, automatically. Anyone I haven't talked to in three months, I'm going to send an email to and just check in on them, just so I stay in touch with everyone that I meet along the way so that I'm constantly building. Because the idea is like, if I don't do that, then every time I meet someone, if I'm now not contacting someone else, I'm never making progress. I'm not growing my base. I'm not growing anything. I'm just hamster wheel. And so that started from the very beginning of Hawk. I kept the CRM and I just wanted to check in with people. And some people are weekly, monthly, quarterly. It just depends. And like I basically have a catch-all quarterly. So my 24-hour challenge is to go set this up for yourself. Go get 
the easiest one is one page CRM, but figure out a CRM, take the next 24 hours, go set it up, hook it up to your email, make sure all your whole contact list, everyone in your email gets uploaded in there and make sure every one of them has a quarterly date set up so that if you haven't talked to them in three months, you're going to send them a quick note of like, how have you been? Here's an update on my end, something really quick and just start getting into that cadence of everyone you talk to. I'm talking about friends, family, everyone, just stay in touch. And that ability to stay in touch, the cliche is your network is your net worth. Yet so many people that remember talk to their network. Like, yeah, you got a business card once. Did you ever email them? And like, literally, I was on the beach yesterday and met a friend of a friend who was hiring an architect to build him a house. And he goes, oh, yeah, we work on a lot of luxury homes and da, da, da. And like, what do you do as a like marketing? He's like, oh, I might know some people you need to talk to. And literally hands me his card. I already emailed him this morning. It's like, you actually do something about it. That guy, we may end up doing work together. And maybe not. But, you know, if you do this a thousand times, you're going to get some level of conversion on it. And so the idea is the 24-hour challenge, set that up, get onepagecrm.com was the one I used originally. Now we have, we use HubSpot. It's much more complex. That's like, I think it was 20 bucks a month, like really not expensive. Put all your contacts in there, set a quarterly follow-up. And then the idea is keep it going. So the moment you follow up, set the next reminder to follow up again in three months and make sure that you keep that rolling so that you start to really stay in the loop with everyone. And then as you try to expand your career, if you're working somewhere and you want to get a new job or you are an entrepreneur and you're building your business, you keep yourself top of mind with your network. You never know what will come from that. You'll never know who will email you and be like, hey, I know we haven't, we've been going back and forth on email for four years, but I have an idea. Like that happens regularly. So. Yep. It seems overwhelming, but remember, so everybody for the first step, is to at least check out the options. So some system that will help you manage your people and in the sense of manager contacts to stay top of mind. I'm gonna push back on that because our number one core value at Hawk is get shit done. I don't want you to check out or study anything. I want you to go sign up. Okay. If you have another idea of a CRM, great. If you don't, get one page CR. Like, great. I have no, nothing invested in them. I'm just saying it was the cheap option that I used in the beginning. Go get it. Go put your contacts into it. And you know, and develop that out in the next 24 hours. Just go sign up, put your contacts in it, build that quarterly cadence. You'll take a couple hours and then start using it every day. Like I'm talking 20 minutes every day, 10 minutes every day, but start using it as a way to stay in touch with everyone. There you go. Marching orders, download, and it's one page CRM is what you called it. One page CRM.com. All right, go find it, download it, get started and get those connections in circulation and stay top of mind. This brings us to a little bit of discussion more about how you run your business, how you lead your people. When you think about something like leadership presence, executive presence, command presence, what does it mean to you? I think it's more about presence than anything. My partner likes to talk about it's time. So leadership presence, I think, has to do with a level of authenticity and confidence. Okay. Where it's like you can be authentic. Like I can be confident in the fact I don't know something. I guess is the point. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's about being straight. I think there's a level of transparency too that is important because trust is people need to trust that the leader is a leader. I think that's one of the most important parts of being a leader is they trust you're taking them in the right direction and that you're, what you're saying is what you mean, that you're being authentic, that you're, and that you're also confident. And I should say like, there's definitely times where I open it up to the team and be like, I don't know what to do here. What do you guys think? Like, that's okay too. So when I say confidence, it doesn't mean that you know everything. It just means that you're comfortable enough to have that conversation too. And then also having conviction when you need to. Like if you look at some of the greatest leaders of our time, they stuck to their guns even when a lot of people disagreed because they had information that those didn't. Even if it was just in their head, they had a certain amount of context 
that was hard to articulate, but they had conviction around what they were doing, whether it's, you know, wartime leaders and generals that we've seen that were, you know, accomplished certain feats that should have never happened or business leaders like a Steve Jobs, like you're going to create an MP3 player, who cares? Oh, and you're going to make a cell phone. Great. Like why? But you stick to that vision. I'm sure there's naysayers for everything. It's I guess part of it. So you have to have conviction. Conviction and transparency are hard to go hand in hand. I will say there's a struggle because you will always have a peanut gallery, but it's also being okay with that. And again, that's where the confidence comes in. Yes, yes. Being able to uh, stand up to the naysayers and address the peanut gallery head on or ignore them for that matter. But truly listen too, because part of it is you do have more context than anyone, but still one of those people in that peanut gallery might bring up a point that's actually a good point. Like, oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, this is a bad idea. You have to be okay with that too. The more voices you can listen to, the better at that point. Yeah. So what about then when you are looking either within the peanut gallery or elsewhere, and you're looking to groom a high potential or hire somebody for the next leadership role, what are the most important communication skills that you look for? And on the flip side, what's a red flag that would otherwise keep you from promoting or hiring that person? Clear, concise communication is really important. I feel like when people get into, I even say with emails, when I'm not getting bullet points and you can't get to the point of the problem and solution that's not going to be a good leader for me because in leadership, you end up with a lot more on your plate. And if you can't move through problems and communicate quickly, you're going to get so bogged down, you're never going to get up, you're going to end up drowning. So I need people that like, and I articulate that to most of my team, where it's like, you need to learn how to send quick emails with bullet points so people can read it quickly, get the point and make a decision, or you're making the decision either way. And the people that send multiple page long emails should be a phone call or not. If this is this verbose, it probably takes having a conversation or you need to distill this down into what's the actual point. Because I know just busy people don't read, don't read page long emails. They sit in their inbox unread or not for a long period of time. If they are, if they're ever going to read it, it just sits there for a while till they get to it. Most people don't dive in to read those long emails, which means like, again, from a communication standpoint, you might've felt you just said everything. No one's going to digest. Right. And I think a lot of people tend to email and do a mental data dump. They get out all the information, stream of consciousness, as opposed to going back and saying, okay, well, these three points here really should all be together or you were redundant there. Decide where it belongs earlier or later and just being able to do a bit of revision and not just send out the rough draft of the email to everybody. Half the time you can get it down into 50% or less. Yep, exactly. Or much less. I'm talking about like send quick bullet points, get to the point. It's funny. I actually got a C in business communications in college because I argued this point and I refused to let up because I'm that indignant of a student where I was like, no, you don't send two page long emails. There's no one reads them. You know, I was a junior in college. I'd already worked in some executive level. And I was like, nobody will ever read your emails. Like, this is terrible education. You shouldn't be teaching this. Like, this is not how business communication works. The teacher gave me a C. I had to retake the class because it was a requirement to get a B in the class to graduate. And it was the most obnoxious thing because like where I ended up today is literally running communications for 600. <laughs> uh, turns out I was right. And, but that, that's a lot of ways people are taught is like so every email needs to have like a thesis statement and like the entire structure of an essay. Don't do that. Yeah. It doesn't sound like fun. And I'm not sure. Maybe it was somebody who had learned a long time ago. Who knows? Things, uh, things have certainly changed nowadays. The shorter, the better. And given that most people are writing with two thumbs. 15 years ago, it wasn't that way, but I, I see people do it all the time. Yeah. And that's almost as bad when you see the text message that's the same yeah. missive worth of content. It's like, no, no, if you're only using two fingers to write, that's 20% of your fingers. So get it down to 20% of the 
words necessary as well. There should be a proportionality or something there. Yeah. All right. Well, then what about when people are bringing ideas to you from the peanut gallery or from elsewhere, they're pitching an idea. What do you want them to do so that it goes well, so that it really sinks in for you? Or for that matter, tell me about a time when somebody pitched you an idea. Give me the example. And you just went, no, take that back to the drawing board until you can do X. Off cuff, I'm thinking. So in terms of bringing me ideas, it happens all the time. I mean, I'm trying to think of like the most recent one we did. Yeah. So we we like to do rolling campaigns with our marketing team and have different cool promotions going on. And we got to December or November and didn't we had just finished e-commerce week. We were trying to think like, what's the next great promotion? And someone on my team was like, you know, hey, what about an idea that we like give a gift to all our clients? That's something cool. Like maybe our clients send each other their products or something. I'm like, good direction, but what could we gift all of our clients? Like what if we did discounts on XYZ. And then my team was like, well, why don't we reach out to all of our partners and see if they'll all be willing to give gifts to our clients as like a holiday bundle for new clients, potential clients, like whatever brands. And it's discounts on all these different platforms and credits and all sorts of stuff. Just like a fun, like, hey, here, this is for you. And that came from one of my team members. I honed it with them a little bit and the rest of the team jumped in. We ended up getting 72 different e-commerce software companies to give our clients free email marketing, free this, free that. And like, got a whole package put together. But that came from just like a quick comment that was like, yeah, not quite what I want. But like, I like the train of thought Let's hone in on this. So that would be a good one. And that that same employee actually brought me an idea for a piece of content that was way off, meaning like, they wanted great content for Hawk, but had nothing to do with Hawk Media. Why are we working on it? Like, and so went back and forth. And he heard me because he came back with a whole new idea that was still not too far of a departure what we wanted to do, but why it was actually like Hawk Media creating this content. And now we're probably going to move forward with it. So that's, again, something else. I don't really like just say no. It's like, I try to give them a solution. Like, I need this to be this, this, this. Or I'll give a problem. Like, in that situation, there's more problem. I don't know what this content should look like. But I do know that like Hawk needs to be the center point if we're spending our resources on creating. Our marketing team is creating content. It needs to be about Hawk or something that serves Hawk, not just something random. And so it's more that where it's like, I'll either help you figure out where the path is, or sometimes I may not have it off the cuff, but I'm going to give you the feedback of why I don't like that idea. And if there's a way to work around that, which I usually think there is, because I really try to hone into my team. The answer is never no, it's how. Like, it's not just no, shut it down. It's like, well, how do we do this? How does this make sense? It doesn't make sense in its current form because of XYZ. Is there a way it can that can solve those things too. Right. So helping people to think through things another step further and potentially yeah. solve their own problems even better. Assuming they stick with you, they get better and better and better at that, that you probably don't have to have those conversations as often. Sure. So it's a skill that you're developing, teaching them to fish rather than giving them the fish or at least throwing the fish back one way or another. Terrific. Then this brings us to our speed round. And these are three topics that regularly arise in conversations with clients, uh, often where people have falsely black and white ideas about where things are. So we're going to pick the black and white for a second, but then we're going to dive into the shades of gray and let people know that they're not alone in some of these challenges. So first, public speaking, love it or hate it? Love it. And for those perhaps who don't love it quite as much as you do, can you give a tip for managing nerves and speaking with confidence, even if you don't feel it? Just know what you're going to say out there. I think the only time I get, and I speak before COVID, I was on a stage every week. I'm on a podcast several times a week. But if you're not comfortable with what you're talking about, like the only time I get nervous is when I get asked to speak on a topic that I probably shouldn't have accepted the talk because I'm like, I don't mm. know about this. So it goes two ways. One, if you speak about things you know inherently, then just have a conversation on stage. Like it's that simple. Like if you already know everything you're going to say and you know it through and through, there's nothing to be nervous about. You don't have to anticipate anything because you know it through and through. If you don't prep, 
put together your talk, really know what you're going to say, because then you get out there and you can just recite it. There's not anything to be nervous about. You know what you're going to say. Don't memorize, understand. Mm. Memorizing, then you're trying to remember your line. Don't try to remember your line. Just understand the general gist of what you're going to say and then just talk it through. That's usually where my talks go the best. And I think, you know, when you are in that zone of I'm totally comfortable with this and you may need to pause for a moment here and there to decide how you want to frame something uh, or just to organize your thoughts. But you know that if your eyes are constantly going up to the ceiling because you're thinking about where as if the words are going to be up there, that's your mark to yourself of I'm not as comfortable on this as I really need to be. And of course, that's helpful when you're going to be on stage or on screen nowadays where basically everybody is. And of course, the notion of public speaking doesn't even have to be in something as formal as a conference, right? It can be just a pitch to your clients. It can be talking to your team. There's lots of different ways. So, but preparation, absolutely. Now, what about introversion and extroversion? Where do you fall on that scale? Extroversion. And as a natural extrovert, What's one of your inherent strengths and what's an area that you still know you need to grow in? You know, it's funny. I would have said that I constantly need to be around people, but I will say that COVID highlighted that I was actually totally fine. Not, I get energy from being around people, but I also have no problem being hanging out alone and not doing that. So Mm -hmm. I will say I do need some level of, it's really hard for me not to have any social interaction, but that can include Zoom, a phone call, et cetera. That all satiates that. So hard for me to go anywhere and do anything where it's just like, I just sit by myself. I don't like Mm -hmm. that. I don't know if that's something I'm going to work on. I'd say some people would argue that's something to work on. Me, I I like being around people and I really need to challenge that. No, if you're comfortable with it, then and it works for you and you found a way to be comfortable, especially in the socially distanced world that we currently find ourselves in, I think that's terrific. Finally, conflict. Nobody likes it. But when faced with it in whatever form it may take, is your natural tendency to want to dive in, address it and fix it right away or to avoid at all cost? Well, 100% dive in, fix it right away. I cannot stand just sitting on a problem. And what have you learned about how to do that effectively? Oh, I mean, usually it is effective. Usually it allows me to solve problems quickly and move on. I'd say the negative of it is when you don't have that option, it is hyper stressful. And that's the part where it's like when you don't have the option to solve it quickly, being able to like, whether it's meditation or something, being able to come to terms with that so you don't just sit there and stress is super important. And is there anything that you've learned as far as how to address it quickly? So to make sure that it does come out the right way, as opposed to just being bull in a china shop, as some people can potentially interpret it. The bull in the china shop thing isn't where I end up going. It's more like okay. take it out on other people. It's more internalized stress. But it, I would say it's actually doing what I need to do and then like developing a narrative of like, okay, I've done what I can. Now we wait, like take a deep breath and focus on other things because there's nothing to do anyways. It's a narrative more than anything. And like, you have to, frankly, I have to tell myself that. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. How can people learn more about you and Hawk Media? Yeah, we got a podcast, Hawk Talk, and then uh, you can find me on any social ad or slash Eric Huberman. And then hawkmedia.com, we do free marketing consultations. So always happy to dive in and help people out. That's great. So there you go, everybody. And of course, we'll put the links in the show notes today. So if you do want to look him up on whatever social links and get that free consultation, you cannot ask for a better gift than that. So I do highly encourage everybody to reach out. Eric, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. 
And for everybody else out there, thank you for tuning in. As always, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my quick start guide to mastering the three C's, command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. Your advice is to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.